Hey, good morning. My name is David Scott again, and I'm the uh, kind of still a bit of the student ministry pastor here. Uh, Jeremy's taken on a lot of those things um, as we come into my last month. Uh, I'm not preaching today, so you can keep your seats. Um, but uh, because this was my last camp as the student ministry pastor, I think David has allowed me to share for just a few minutes uh, about what that's meant for me and kind of some things that I feel like the Lord had in my heart about it. So seven years ago, um, I was about two weeks on the job, uh, and I was invited to attend the Riverstone Youth Camp in Covington, Georgia. Um, I went with just a handful of students, I think five or six from Stonebridge. I do remember that Katie Marie Tanner, Libby McKee, and Mary Davidson Eldridge went because they dressed as princesses for the Disney dance, and they won Disney trivia, and I have in my possession what might be one of only two pictures of Mary D ever wearing a tiara. So um, I'll always hold that dear and uh, remember that moment. Uh, but I do remember it was an awesome week, and there were amazing experiences for students. But, but really, coming back to work, what stuck with me was the incredible opportunity it was for the entire body of Christ. Um, if I'm honest, I was, I was jealous for our leaders to have that kind of experience with our students. And so over the next months, with more trust from David Eldridge than I had earned, uh, us and, and the other pastors and youth pastors from the churches Riverstone and Vintage 242, who are in the network of churches that were a part of the Transformation Network, we, we all began to craft a concept that, as far as I know, is unique among churches. Uh, we decided to use our relational network of churches to explore what it would look like for different expressions of the church to work together to do more than we could ever do on our own. And, and one camp was born out of that idea, not because it was easy or simple or cheap. It is almost never any of those things, um, but, but, but because God loves for his body to act as one and to be one. Uh, Ephesians 4 says that's the way to maturity in the Lord. So, so this past week, I had the special perspective of knowing it was the last time I would view one camp with the eyes of a youth pastor and, and it was a real blessing to look around at over 500 students and adults engaged around that idea, that purpose, that theory. Um, if, if you don't know, One Camp is, is four churches in leadership and then a lot of other churches represented by students and leaders. But those four churches send their time, their money, and their resources to Covington, Georgia for a week each summer with no expectation of return except the kingdom of God. Uh, its roots are in a camp that was started on those same grounds in that same week over 50 years ago. And that means this year, for some, the fourth generation of their family was experiencing camp. It's literally grandparents, parents, and students all worshiping in the same room over time. Um, what I think makes it most incredible, though, is how adults from all walks of life actually take their money. They pay to go, and they take their vacation time all to stay up late, get up early, and, and deal with issues and, and messes um, that they don't have to. And they come away thinking that they got more back than they ever gave. 
Sarah Martin is one of our year-round leaders here, and by all accounts, she kind of runs a camp every day in her home with the number of kids uh, that she has. But, but she attended camp for the first time this year, and she walked away saying, it's so incredible, I just wish I'd known about it sooner. So why and how does that happen? It's because at this camp in Covington, Georgia, the hottest place on earth, I'm convinced, over the week of the 4th of July, (laughs) at this place where people pay and give away vacation time, everybody forgets their egos and their insecurities for a week, and they focus on the bigness of God and the needs of other people. Everybody stops worrying about whether or not they know what their deal is, and they just start doing their deal because it needs to be done, and they have an opportunity to do it, whether that means leading worship or making kids laugh about pool noodles for 45 minutes. There's legitimately a guy, his name is Dutch, who has come for years and played with a pool noodle and called it aqua dancing, and kids come back year after year after year just for this. Adults do too. And, and, and this is the thing that really sets one camp apart, is those people, they don't do that because they're professionals. They definitely don't do it because they're getting paid. And they don't do it in a hope to build their resume for something better. They do it because they love and have real relationships with the people around them. It's one faith. It's one family. And, and that's why we call it one camp. And so if if I can leave you with something as the student ministry pastor, I would urge you to to check it out in in all its forms, right? You you can go online. You can get on the website. It's it's onecamp1.org, and you can watch what goes on, right? You could come to a service. Uh, next year, the, the evening services are open to the public, but really talk to the people who have gone. Right? Did we do this already? Raise your hand if you, if you went this year and you're in this room. Where are you? Yeah, talk to these people. Find them. Right? Figure out whether or not they're completely insane or whether or not God is doing something. Or maybe it's a mix of both, right? Because kind of that's how it works. It will bless you at least 100 times over. And continue to support it with, with your prayers and with your giving because in doing so, we all get to be a part of something that is fully focused on kingdom, unity, and purpose. And, and it's the kind of thing that I'm not sure I'll, I'll, I'll ever get to be a part of anything like that again. And, and so the last thing I would just say to y'all is, is thank you. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for your gifts, your prayers, your time, and, and your trust that let me be a part of that. So thanks. So um, I was at camp. If you know me at all, you probably realize that I'm not really a camp guy. Not my thing. When they asked for volunteers to raise their hands, I didn't raise my hand because I wasn't a volunteer. Uh, I had to go. Um, And so I have a couple of things I want to share from my time at camp. I do want to say this. David was, uh, there's a little false modesty there. Uh, Camp has gone on long, before he was born, that camp was happening. But in its current iteration as this coming together of multiple churches in shared leadership. That was, that was him. He really drove that conversation. And a lot of what camp is now, in terms of, again, the shared leadership from across multiple churches, uh, that was a vision that God put in his heart. And um, it's really great. It, it, it is. It's really great. It's a great thing. 
uh, to be a part of, and I would encourage y'all, even if you're not a camp guy or girl, it's worth investing in. So uh, our theme was more. It came from this verse in Job 36, our God is great, who can understand him? Uh, Our speaker was Annie Downs. You may have heard of her. She's a podcaster and a writer and a speaker, and she comes from our family of churches and is a friend of all of our churches. And so she was the speaker, and her big idea was God can't be fully understood, but he can be known. And so her every night she pushed on us to what is it to know God, and God can be known through the Bible, and she talked about how we can meet God in the Bible, and God is known most fully in Jesus, and that we know God in community, and that we grow in our understanding of who God is um, through the Holy Spirit. He helps us. He answers questions um, that we don't know the answer to. Uh, her, her verse wound up being Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen that if we seek God with all our heart, we'll find him. And so in the morning, what we did was we tried to unpack what does it look like to seek God with all of our heart. And we talked about three different uh, postures that we can take, contentment and confession and consecration, and that these postures or practices help us seek God with all of our heart. What does that even mean? Contentment is being happy with what you have. If you're, running after, if you're seeking other things, then you're probably not seeking God with all your heart. Confession is acknowledging to God where we sinned. And sin separates us from God. And then consecration is uh, intentionally devoting yourself to God and to his purposes. And so those were kind of the big teaching points throughout the week. We had worship. Um, We did corporate things every night. There was a Disney dance. There was a rave. There was a mud course. Um, We did fun things during the day. uh, Basketball tournament, volleyball tournament. They do some goofy games in the morning. Uh, All of camp is really geared around helping people be with God and be with each other. That's what camp is. If you can imagine, the kids don't, like, they have to turn in their phones. And most of them do that. They don't, they're not on their phone for a week, and that changes everything. So it's, it's, it's a special and unique place and a special and unique experience. And so the challenge always for those of us um, who go, uh, particularly those of us who go as adults, is so how do we um, steward what God is doing in Covington back here in Marietta? What's the connection? What's the connection point? Is that just this kind of holy week and it's great and we just uh, kind of get the most out of it that we can? Or is there, is there any way of investing what God has did there and kind of investing that here? And that's what I want to try to do, just share two things really briefly with y'all, the two things that stood out to me the most while we were at camp. One was, the, was community, people living in community with one another. And the second was this, the theme that Annie really hit on, what does it look like to seek God with all of our heart? And camp is really geared, as I said, to both of those things. Nobody has a job. Nobody goes to school. Nobody's cooking. Nobody's cutting the grass. You're living in a cabin with 30 other people who are your age who in general are moving in the same direction as you. You're eating in a cafeteria with everybody. You have this group of 150 adults and they're giving themselves to making sure that kids are able to seek God and be with one another. It's, again, it's, it's a camp environment. And none of those things are true here. Like We don't do that and we're not going to create a commune. So we're not, that's not the direction that we're moving in. 
If you can imagine this, if you know me at all, at one point I, was, I wanted to do communal housing. I told my wife, I was like, we should do this. We were in seminary. Uh, I was in seminary and we lived in this little apartment. And I was like, when we move, we need to do this thing and we need to have six houses and we all need to share these things. And she was like, what, what makes you think you want to do that? Like, do you know you? And I said, oh, I think it's a great idea. And we wound up having that on our street. All of these people who go to our church live on our street and I just stay inside all the time. So she was right. I was wrong. We don't, so we're never going to have a commune is a bottom line. So if, uh, but what is it about, when I think about, again, those externals at camp that help that we don't have here in Marietta. So what does it look like for us to, to cultivate community? And what does it look like for us to seek God with all of our hearts? Community, that's a tricky one for us. I feel like community, it gets, there's a, a season of life that many of us are in where community is difficult. I think it's difficult all the time. I think it's particularly difficult if you have kids under your roof. There's more schedules that you're having to manage. There's more people that you're having to look out for. It's not better or worse. It just it, it seems like you're pulled in multiple directions. And that's where many of you, and, and it's where we are. We had our first kid at 24. Our last one won't graduate till we're 52. It's poor family planning is what that is. But that's, that's our life. And at that point, somebody's going to boomerang back and be living with us again. So... That may, be, that may be where you are. And so for you, the idea of cultivating community, you're like, I can't. You may have a high-demand job. We live in a commuter culture where so much time is spent in the car. You may be going back to school. You may be taking care of your parents. You may have a chronic physical condition that makes it difficult for you. You're in chronic pain, you have migraines, you struggle with depression or social anxiety, things that make it difficult for you to intentionally choose to spend time with people. And all of those things are real. And they undermine the cultivation of Christian community. I'm not talking about buddies, and I'm certainly not talking about online friends. What I'm talking about is people who spur you on to love and good deeds, people who can hold you accountable in the areas where you struggle, and people to whom you turn when you're having a difficult time. Do you have two or three or four or five of those people. If you're married, I would say don't count your spouse in that. Don't. That's a cop-out for many of us. Outside of your spouse, do you have two or three or four or five who are spurring you on to loving good deeds, who hold you accountable in the areas where you struggle and to whom you turn when things are difficult? You know they're going to answer the phone if you call them. Again, that's, it's an easy thing to cut with the pace of life that many of us live. For many of us, we run on a school calendar. Our church runs on a school calendar. School starts in three weeks. That's disappointing for so many that that's coming soon. And so in the next, uh, this is what I want you to do this morning. I want you to, uh, my encouragement to you, is to make a commitment to value community moving into the next school year. Think about just August to December. For some of you, you've got to reevaluate what community looks like literally every season of the year because your life changes every season of the year. You get moved from mornings to nights or you go from Monday, Wednesday practice to Tuesday, Thursday practice or whatever happens. And so I want to encourage you to hold tightly to the value of community saying, I've got to have this and I'm not going to wait till somebody invites me to be a part of their thing. I'm responsible for my own heart, and community is necessary for my own heart because God said so. 
All the way back in Genesis, before sin ever entered the world, he said it's not good for man to be alone or a woman. It's not good. You can be married and be isolated. Just, that's, that's a word about relationships. And so, Hebrews, don't give up meeting together. And so, we want to value that and not necessarily just put it on somebody else to include me in their thing, but to say, I'm committed to this as a value and then be flexible with the structure. God, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I don't know how to make it work. I don't know how to make it work. But I'm asking you, I, I want to commit to this value from August 1st to December 31st. And I need you to show me, what does it look like? Is it a small group? We'll be running those back in a few weeks, and you'll hear about your opportunities. Is that what it is? Is it a couple of guys getting together every other week for breakfast? Walking on the mountain with one or two other people. Wait, what is it for me during this season and stretch of my life? Be flexible with the structure. Be fiercely committed to the value. Seeking God with our whole hearts. If we seek him with our, heart, our whole hearts, we'll be found. One of my, my second worst job that I've ever had was um, there used to be a store. I think it's gone now called Toys R Us. It was a terrible place. And I worked there during a terrible time, during Christmas. <laughs> Awful. So I worked the night shift. I worked from 5 to 12 over Christmas holidays as a cashier. I worked there after, it was the, my sophomore year of college, so it was 1994. This was before internet commerce. So if you wanted something, you had to show up in a store and buy it. And so, you know, there's an it toy every year. And the it toy in 1994 was a white Mighty Morphin Power Ranger Tiger Zord, $39.95. I forget the day my kids are born, but I can tell you how much that thing cost. <laughs> seared into my brain we had training sessions on how to not take a bribe seriously how to not take a bribe for the power ranger people calling us all the time when's the truck coming when's the truck coming line up out the door we had to talk through how you work through an incident in the aisle with people were jostling we actually had two two grown women fought for one of those things they were 40 bucks. People were selling them in the parking lot for 200 to $300, and people were paying for it. They wanted the, they wanted the tiger's Zord. When I think seeking, that, in it, that moves in the direction. Seeking is not the same thing as looking. Looking can be somewhat casual. Seeking's not casual at all. It's very purposeful. It's very intentional. There's a, there's a deep desire. I would not necessarily say a desperation, but there's a deep desire moving in that direction. It's stronger than looking. It's stronger even than searching. Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God. and We saw in Jeremiah, if we seek God with all of our hearts, we'll find him. So what does that look like? When we hear that word seek, sometimes we think, well, that's emotion. It's passion. I feel that sometimes and I don't feel that. At other times, you think about camp, and that's one of those peak mountaintop experiences where we feel, I'm going to seek God first. And again, you have all these externals that help you do that. And then when you get back to Marietta in real life, where most of us live most of the time, that can tend to ebb and, and other things crop up. And, and where does that desire go? A couple of things for you to think about. 
as again, we're maybe moving, things are shifting, we're moving towards the end of summer and moving back towards school. What would it look like for you to say, I'm going to commit to seeking God with my whole heart? Two things you can do. One is to ask God to increase your hunger for him. Hunger is not something that you have to stir up on your own. You can ask him to do that. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Many of us, like, that's not us. You can ask God to stir that within you. Psalm 63, David says, you're my God, um, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And again, for most of us, that's not necessarily the, the posture of our hearts on a regular basis, but we can ask God to increase our hunger, to deepen our desire for him. And as that desire increases, it does make it easier to seek God first. But even as you're praying that prayer for hunger, I would encourage you to look at putting a couple of rhythms or practices in place that will help you seek God first. If you wait for the feeling and you just ride the feeling, you're gonna, it's fits and starts over the rest of your life. But if you'll commit not just to praying for God to increase your hunger, but commit to certain rhythms in your life consistently over time. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. Over time, what you'll see is you will be oriented to seeking God first, to seeking him with your whole heart, even when you don't feel like you're seeking him with your whole heart. Your life, your behavior, your will will be pointed in that direction. Everybody prays and everybody reads the Bible. All these disciplines are important. It's hard to say some are more important. I feel like those are the two most important ones. If you don't do anything else, you pray and you read the Bible. We have a relationship with God, and that's where, the, that's where the roots of that relationship are formed. Prayer is how we talk to God. The Bible is one of the primary ways we hear from God, where we see God's character and his work revealed. Prayer and reading the Bible. We can't go into all the different ways to do that. Figure it out. You don't have to do those things every day. But again, if it fits and starts... Your heart's never going to be directed towards him. You're not going to be pursuing him with your whole heart. I'll say that. But if you can put some things in place, three days a week, five days a week, this is what I'm going to do. And I may blow it for a week, but I'm not going to bail until next January 1st. I'm going to pick back up. Again, that's the, that's the advantage of, these, of a rhythm is you don't have to hit a home run every day. If you, if you blow it one day, if you don't make the appointment, if you don't seem to get a lot out of it, you always have tomorrow. It takes all the pressure off. What would it look like for you to establish a rhythm where you were regularly reading the Bible and praying? Five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, three, four, five days a week. And then there are these other disciplines that I think are super helpful, but they're very personal. It's kind of what's helpful for you based on how you're wired. I'm going to tell you the ones that have been helpful for me. Um, but they may not be so for you because you're wired differently, and so you may need to explore some of those others. Worship is something that's been very important to me for the last 22 years of my life, not just corporate worship, but personally. I'm a thinker, so I relate to God primarily out of my brain, out of my mind, and worship is a, is a, is a place and a way for me to connect with God emotionally. And I've actually grown, if you can imagine that. I've grown in my ability to do that. And that's because I've intentionally incorporated not just corporate worship, but personal worship 
into my rhythm of life. And that may be something, again, if you're wired like me, if you tend to be mostly a thinker, and, and for you, you connect with God maybe mostly through reading and thinking, that kind of, then maybe worship would be personal worship, would be something that you would want to cultivate. If when we're in here and we're worshiping together and you're just like, can this end? Just give me some meat. Give me some content. I'm tired of singing. Then personal worship may be something that you need to begin to cultivate. You're cutting yourself off from a large part of what it means to connect to God if you're not connecting to him with your heart. We live in a society where we're valued based on what we can produce and what we do produce. We're always on 24-7. Rest or Sabbath, if you like that word better. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice. A place where we're intentionally not productive. For some of you, a, a way of expressing, God, I'm seeking you with all of my heart, is I'm not going to do anything that accomplishes anything for this period of time. Maybe you could take Sunday. Many of you come to church already on Sunday. You have a block of time set aside to corporately seek the Lord. And what if you said, from when I get home, from church until after dinner. I'm not going to be productive. I'm not going to do yard work. I'm not going to do housework. I'm going to tell the kids they don't have to do homework. I'm not going to open my email and try to catch up or try to prepare for next week. I'm just going to rest. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to watch a Braves game. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to take a, I'm going to hike. Whatever it is that brings life to you with the people that you love, I'm going to do those things. Some Sundays you're going to be bored out of your skull. But over time, you've built in this, time, this rhythm of your life where you say, God, I'm seeking you first. I'm seeking you with my whole heart. And, and, and one of the expressions of that is I have this time where I've set aside, where I'm not doing anything else. I'm not going to be productive during this time. Fasting, we live in a society where you can get anything whenever you want it delivered to your door within a day. So what does it look like to intentionally say no, either to food or to abstain from something? So again, not um, holding myself up in any way. I, I fast. I eat lunch on Monday, and I eat dinner on Tuesday. And I don't eat in between most weeks. Like I didn't do it last week because I was at camp, and that was hard enough. So whatever you want to do. Like for me, it's a way of saying I don't live on bread alone. It's a way for me to say, you know, sometimes it's okay to say no to what I want. That's okay. It, it may have a different thing for you, a different flavor, but for me it's a way of saying I'm orienting even my body towards God first. Or abstaining. What about, what if you, for one, one night a week, when you got in the bed, you didn't just start scrolling? You, I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm going to listen to some worship music or I'm going to pray a little bit or maybe I'm, going to, or maybe I'm just going to go to bed. Abstaining from... Those things aren't wicked, but just abstaining from something in, to, in order to intentionally turn a bit more of your focus and attention towards the Lord. I want to encourage you as we move towards this next season of the year, as we move towards school, as we move towards fall, would you pick up one discipline if you're currently doing, doing nothing, then pick up prayer. I got do. Just do that one. I'll make it easy for you. You won't have to choose. If you're already praying, pick up one more. 
don't make some hero's commitment. I'm going to fast for the next 30 days. You're not. So don't. Don't be a hero. But before the Lord, which of those disciplines do you think would be the most helpful as you say, I want to seek God with my whole heart? It may not be one of the ones I mentioned. Journaling can be really good. If you tend to keep everything in here and in here, journaling can be a way of getting it out. If you tend to forget, journaling could be a great way of remembering the prayers that you prayed and the way that God worked. Just set aside some time. I, went, I, I did a year where I said I'm going to journal twice a, twice a week for a year. So maybe that's it for you. You're going to journal a couple of times a week for the next few months. I would just encourage you, start with 30 days. Five months may seem like too big a commitment, so start for August. What's one discipline that you could pick up that for you would be an intentional way of saying, God, I'm seeking you with my whole heart? All right, we've got to go. God, I pray for each one of us. We're, we're so thankful for what you did at camp and the lives of our students. We're thankful for the adults who went and served and gave, and we're thankful that we can't outgive you, and so that you're, and we just trust you're going to fill those up who poured out over the last week. And my prayer for us as a church, the best things that you did at camp, I pray that you would sow into the lives of our children and students and adults. I pray we would all, in the midst of a busy and isolating culture, learn how to cultivate community this fall. This fall, God, I pray that everyone in this room would begin to develop those one, two, three, four, five relationships, spiritual friendships. And God, I pray for each one of us that we would turn our hearts a little bit more towards seeking you first and seeking you fully. And would you speak to each one of us very clearly and specifically, what does that look like for us? What's the discipline that would be most helpful to us during this time of our life? In Jesus' name, amen.